right, hello everyone, and welcome back to another edition of The Less Stressed Life, where we teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their health back quickly. And I'm really excited to join up forces with my next guest, McKay Rippey. He's graduated from the Maryland University for Integrative Health and was one of the first acupuncturists in the country to hold a master's degree in acupuncture. He's been helping clients feel better with the five element acupuncture for more than 25 years. And uh, he's just a wealth of information. He got into the world of nutrigenomics and, and how to become a detective in recovering from chronic illness. So McKay, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so happy to be here, Joel. Yeah, well, it's me too. And we were talking a little bit earlier about how excited I was to not just present this information to my audience, but to be able to pick up some really great clinical pearls along the way for myself. So we always start, McKay, with understanding your story in, in terms of why did you become an acupuncturist? How did you get focused in on the world of Lyme and potentially knowing that there's not a, a one protocol that fits all and it really requires understanding all of that, but there's gotta be a story from you in terms of a health challenge and why you got into this in the first place. All right, you're you're sure you want to go through this, right? Oh yeah, I, we have we I, only have we have three hours to be able to get everything in here, so let's go for it. Uh, I was thinking about in that introduction is like, holy smokes, I'm that dude now because I started studying acupuncture in 1989. Now that means I'm no longer young, right? I I started out as the youngest person in my class, so I was used to being really young, and I stumbled. I'm going to say stumbled across acupuncture. It was a cosmos either a cosmic joke or it was divine intervention and I'll, I'll let you decide which one it was my father was a patient of acupuncture and had some information around the house about acupuncture and i would come home from studying english literature at saint mary's college of southern maryland and i was kind of lost initially thought i was going to study physics and then i discovered physics was just calculus in disguise and I wasn't that interested in math, so I need some sort of skill. So I thought I'd learn how to write and become an English major. So that that's where I was at the time. So I'm reading this information on acupuncture and just become absolutely fascinated by the theory of it. Not so much helping people, just the theory of it. And one of the things that caught my attention, my mom struggled with bipolar all her life. like hospitalized bipolar serious serious uh, mental illness and the doctors always said oh it's just simply a uh, 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 chemical imbalance in her brain and once we rebalance these chemicals she'll be fine of course she was never fine the chemicals were never imbalanced so in the back of my mind i always had a healthy uh, disrespect let's say for the medical profession and along comes acupuncture and they're basically saying that the ancient chinese the ancient Taoist idea that if you obey the laws of nature you will be healthy okay okay that's interesting what are the laws of nature so then they start expounding on them right and it's all the stuff you talk about over and over again in your podcasts and your materials on your website and with your with your patients it's do, 
you go to sleep on time, eat the right foods, eat the right foods in the right seasons, keep your emotions in check, don't let stress build up with you, all these things, right, just the basics. And this intrigued me to no end because I was a city boy. I grew up in Washington, D.C., right? We had cement for a front yard, right? A sidewalk for a front yard. We had a bus stop in front of our house. That's, that's how city we were. And I happened to go to school in this lovely estate. In, it was a Montessori school. So there's these magnificent gardens with azaleas and rhododendrons and all kinds of wildlife. So I had this contrast between nature, this idealized nature, and, and my cement city sidewalk. So that's what, that's what got me interested. The, the lack of effectiveness the medical community had with my mom and that there's another way. So I went to study acupuncture. And at first they turned me away. They said, you're too young. I was still in college at the time when I applied. You're gonna be talking with very much senior people who are gonna have types of illnesses that you've never even heard about and have no sympathy for. So go away, come back in a year or two when you've lived a life. So I came back the next year and they said, you again? I said, yes, I'm still interested in acupuncture. They said, okay, you're still really young and wet behind the ear. So if you stay for an extra year so we can observe you in our clinic and make sure you're not an idiot, we'll go ahead and let you matriculate. But I didn't quite get my financial part lined up that year. So now I come back a third year, right? This is a quintessential Chinese apprentice story. So I come back the third year knocking on the door and they go, oh, it's you again. <laughs> and by that time I had gotten married. We got married very young. So now I'm married. Now I'm three years older and they say, okay, you're clearly serious about acupuncture. We think we can work with you. So that's how I started my acupuncture career. And like you said in the introduction, I was one of the first people in the country to get a master's degree. Back then, people, you'd still run into people and they had never heard of acupuncture. They say, what's that? Now, at least everybody knows it has something to do with needles, even though they may not know exactly what's going on. Everybody's heard of it. So fast forward. So I'm doing my acupuncture thing over the year, learning about how people's life and lifestyle and their pasts, lifestyle, all intersect in the moment and how to use needles to get them unstuck, get them rebalanced, help their bodies heal again. And we moved to central New York, which happens to be a hot spot for Lyme disease. And like so many other communities, the medical, the established medical community is just behind. I don't hold them accountable for it because they're just doing what they're associations and their educational uh, pipeline to teach them to do, but they're, they're still behind the times. At least now they're starting to order tests, even, and the, even though the tests aren't any good. But anyway, so I said, I better get in front of this. I had a friend of mine from school who was an expert in Lyme disease. I started studying Lyme disease. The more I read, the more I was confused by it. So similar to you, I started a podcast, and the podcast is called Lyme Ninja Radio. And I haven't done a new episode in about a year. I stopped after about five years. And that was because it became very clear, Joel, that there's not one single answer for chronic Lyme disease. There's no one protocol that's going to do it. I started a local support group here for Lyme disease. And there are a couple people in the support group who just really still struggle. And they have seen literally everybody who's got a name in a book 
and been on television about Lyme disease, right? They've, they've been to everybody and they're still suffering. So like, what's, what's the deal with this? Well, the deal is that Lyme disease, chronic fatigue, adrenal fatigue, mold exposure, environmental toxins we could go down a list it's now we're starting to hear the the covid long haulers right things happen build up in a person's system right we're going back to the chinese ideal we stop following the laws of nature right we we get overwhelmed with what our lives put upon us what the world puts on us what nature puts on us and we just we collapse and we're unable to rebuild we're humpty dumpty we're unable to rebuild without some serious attention so instead of using my podcast to try and find the person who's got the right answer it became clear that what we needed to do is we needed to train medical detectives we needed people who could look at the genetics who could look at uh, organic acids tests, who could look at hormone markers, who could look at blood markers and begin to weave together an understanding of what's happening for this bio-individual person in front of them and then begin to make appropriate interventions and then to see what works and what doesn't and to have plan B. If things don't work, to have a plan B. And if plan B doesn't work, have a plan C because if you just have one protocol, here's my Lyme protocol, and this is what you do, and these are the herbs, and these are you do it. If things don't work, you're you're out of luck, right? You're just you're sunk. So we this idea, I love the way you said medical detective. So now I've started a platform called Beyond Protocols, and we are training functional medicine people like you. Matter of fact, I should invite you. We should bring you on. <laughs> I'm going to give you a pass. You can come and join us for and check us out and see if you like it. We don't need to continue the interview anymore. I, I, it served its purpose. I got that invite. We're all good. <laughs> we, we're all done, right? So, yeah. But anyway, that's not the purpose of being here. Just Donald is like, heck, we haven't even invited you to be on there. But anyway, so that's, the, so that's the progression, right? So this idea that nature has a plan, nature has an organization to it, health has an organization to it. And if we understand that, we can biohack ourselves, right? The, the Taoists were the original biohackers. And here we are 2,000 years later. And they're new insults, but they're basically the same. They cause the same problem. And so much of it ends with fatigue. So I'll stop my little soapbox uh, history there well, and uh, let you ask some questions. Lots of interesting feedback on that, McCain. Thanks for sharing. I have a similar experience with my mom and bipolar as well so perhaps that explains uh our gravitational pull towards each other takes one to no one in the sense but as far as uh, i would agree what's really great about what you said is sort of the mental software that you, you made sense to you right from the very beginning hey i didn't really want to do the acupuncture but i was fascinated by the concept of it and in today's day and age with environmental triggers that are are beyond what we even realize and like our mentor bob miller says i think someday we'll look back at this and say whoops you know and 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 understand that this has really been problematic because when you have that perfect storm of these environmental triggers overlapping with genetic potentials that can create the break weak, weak links in the chains, and that would result in, at the, at the cellular level, fatigue, 
where you can't meet the demands on a daily basis and your body decides, okay, well, here's what we got to keep the lights on and we got to do this, but we're not going to be able to do that. And I think that makes sense to people. And, and I think that it's the time has come where common sense, which is typically not so common, it, it will be more accepted, right? Because yeah, it makes sense that I'm a creature of the earth and over the millennium, my, my DNA has, has evolved and become sophisticated and that could work for me or against me. And ultimately, I have to understand how to harness that and not just reductionistically say, okay, I take this or take that and expect that to be a one size fits all and hence the beyond protocol. So uh, yes, I agree with everything you said there, McKay. So as far as let's dive into the Lyme, because when I initially asked you to do this podcast, she's like, well, what would you like to talk about? And I, I like to talk about everything, you know, um, I want to talk about Lyme disease and, and how that overlaps with fatigue and how you become a meta what a medical detective gathers clues and 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 usual suspects and um and 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 then also like some things that aren't on our radar yet in the traditional approaches and even the alternative worlds like inflammatory cytokines and how we signal so why don't we kind of just start from 101 on that in terms of Lyme disease and how we go about becoming a medical detective and all the considerations we need to think about. Okay. Before, I'm going to do that. I'm going to tell the story first. Okay. Because I think this is an important story. And the story illustrates how things have changed in a generation or two. And before COVID, where we are, we have this wonderful outdoor theater. They, they do mostly opera, but some musicals called Glimmerglass. It's, it's, it's really world famous. And every year we go catch a matinee at Glimmerglass. And we're there. We have a picnic lunch before there. So we're sitting down at the picnic tables. And most of the people going to the opera are older than I am, right? It's an older set, let's say. So there's, there's a picnic table of people who grew up in the 50s. And they've got their potato salad and potato chips and sandwiches. You kind of almost, you're expecting like the jello mold to come out. It's like that, that generation of people. They're all fit. They all look healthy, right? And I'm looking over at their table and I've got basically my keto lunch. If I ate like they did, I would weigh 250 pounds. And I'm, I like to say 5'8", but 5'8's being generous. I'm... I'm a short Italian man, right? That's kind of the genes that came through my side. If I ate like that, I would weigh 250 pounds. I would be amazingly obese. So something has shifted in in the culture and whether it's my gut, whether it's other exposures to things like glyphosate over time, who knows exactly what it is, but I can't eat like that. My father-in-law can eat like that. He lives nearby, we eat with him a lot. He can eat like that and he's fine for the most part, right? If I eat like that, my metabolism goes all to heck. So Lyme disease, to tie this back to Lyme disease, so Lyme disease is one of these things that I think has been with us for a long time. So spirochete infections have been a long time. They, they dug up Ossie the Iceman in Austria and he's 5,000 years old or some are 3,000 years old and sure enough, he had Lyme disease buried inside him. 
that they were able to find. He had dead spirochetes, so he had Lyme disease. So Lyme disease has been around forever. But why is it such a big deal now? And it, there's, there are a lot of things. Why is mold such a big deal now, right? So what we're dealing with are these chronic low-grade infections. And maybe it's just that we're living longer, right? Maybe that, you know, people used to die of the flu and we don't die of the flu anymore. We hang around longer. So it's now these more low-grade, slow-burning infections. But as you said, these stealth infections, and Lyme disease is just the poster child of this, this whole series of immune insults that the body has to deal with. You know, whether it's a virus, again, whether it's a mycotoxin left over from a previous mold exposure, whether it's a current mold exposure, you have mold colonized in your gut or in your lungs or in your sinuses, right? Or, well, so, uh, some people get into like prions, but those tend to kill you pretty quickly. So there are all kinds of things that affect our immune system and, and trigger it chronically. And they set up a very similar set of symptoms. Matter of fact, if you kind of go through mold and mycotoxins and Lyme and viral, you'll see very similar set of, of symptoms that show up. And one of the big ones is fatigue. And why is that? Well, that's because fundamentally, when we get sick initially, the body shuts down our mitochondria. That's interesting. The body doesn't want to use energy, A, with the mitochondria. It wants to spend the energy on the immune system. And number two, the mitochondria produce a fair amount of antioxidants. And one of the way that the body uses to clear invaders, pathogens, is with oxidants. It creates oxidants, like superoxide. It produces nitric oxide, which is a, uh, an oxidant. It produces peroxynitrite. It produces things very similar to bleach internally, hydrogen peroxide. So all these things do some damage. So if you pile this on top of what the body's naturally already creating, it's going to create unnecessary damage. But what's supposed to happen is the body then clear these, right? It conquers the invader. It puts it back in its place. It removes it or makes it go dormant again. And then we kind of go on our merry way. Unfortunately, this doesn't seem to be happening with a certain subset of people right, the COVID long haulers, the chronic Lyme disease people, the people that you see in, in your practice that have the chronic fatigue. And often, I really believe underneath it all is some sort of insult to the immune system that got it triggered and it can't stand down. It can't turn itself back off again. Yeah, it's a great, great, great answer. And uh, the COVID long haulers, the chronic Lyme, the chronic fatigue, they all have these threads of connections, which, which we're gonna get into here in a second. And ultimately, I do feel like if we can harness the, the danger response in the body and understand it, then we can come up with the medical detective solutions to be able to, again, I think this is an important preface in terms of it's not just going to be a slam dunk, Mrs. Jones, and you're going to do this and that's it. That's all. These are all the potentials that we've figured out and isolated and customized for you. But the real work begins when we establish the, the implementation of it and realize that there's so many moving parts. And one of the main moving parts is the actual 
Goldilocks and not too much and not too little as well, right? So we, we're contending with a lot of different things, okay? And so as far as the actual, what we know about what happens with stimulating of our immune response and the signaling of, in our, in my world, the HPA axis and the releasing of cortisol to tame histamine. Why don't we get into your world now in terms of, okay, we, we educate practitioners to become medical detectives. Let's look at the Lyme epigenetic major factor and kind of build out a roadmap from there. Does that make sense? Uh, I'll do my best. Okay, well, I know you'll do well. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense, and uh, I hope I can fulfill on the roadmap. Won't get us lost along the way. Yeah, there we go. Right. Oh, actually, before we do that, just a real quick little question in terms of I asked a lot of my guests, especially in the world of nutrigenomics and functional genetic interpretations, which basically means looking at our uh, inherent genetic potentials to figure out how to customize a recovery program. What would be your your thirty second explanation of saying of asking if if it's a valuable test? Because a lot of doctors will say like you know I don't see why you need to understand that and you, all you need to do is okay take methylfolate because it's an MTHFR thing like how how like what do you say to people that have a, an ignorance on the utility of a functional genomic test and how indispensable or dispensable it is for your medical detective for the answering the next question. So I have a little in, inside baseball. I know that you just interviewed my colleague, Emily Gibbler, and she's right. the one who really, I, I got into this through Bob Miller, just like you did. And he was kind enough to take me under his wing a little bit and show me the ropes. And at one of his conferences, I heard Emily present. And Emily Gibbler, for those of you who don't know her, is just this amazing practitioner who, because of the way her brain works, has synthesized and organized an understanding of functional genetics. And we're going to distinguish that from kind of normal genetics. So the way a doctor normally looks at a genetic test is they want to run a bunch of tests. They want to find out which specific variant equals a disease. And that's what they're happy with. So, you know, uh, a specific variant means that you're more susceptible to celiac disease. A specific dis uh, variant means that you're more likely to have high cholesterol. A specific variant means that you're more likely to have breast cancer. And that's where they stop. It's like it's they're looking for this one to one correspondence. What we're looking for in the functional world is patterns. And even, let's say, patterns upon patterns. And that's what fascinated. That's that's how an acupuncturist. Right. I'm an acupuncturist. You know, I hug trees. That's what we do. Right. We're where we come from so far away from biochemistry that it, it, it's amazing. But here I am in the biochem, I've got a foot in both worlds. And that's because I recognize what Bob was doing, what Emily's doing, what you're doing, Joel, is that you're looking for patterns in the genetics and the symptomatology and the test results and looking for what these patterns indicate. So here, here's another short story. I just, I mentioned I went to St. Mary's College in Southern Maryland, and we were lucky enough to be on the St. Mary's River. So one of the gym classes was sailing. 
and anybody who didn't take sailing for a gym credit was just brain addled in, in my mind. So I'm taking sailing and we've got this world-class sailor who's teaching us and he says, can you see the wind? And we all laugh, right? We say, no, it's the wind's invisible. He says, no, you can see it. And I say, what, what are you talking about? He says, you can see its effects. He said, you need, if a good sailor is looking around and seeing what the wind's doing so he can take advantage of it. So you're looking for the ripples on the water. You're looking for the telltales at the top of the mast. You're looking for gusts of wind that are happening across on the other bank in the trees on the other side of the river, things like that. So that's what we're looking for with functional genomics, with these functional tests. We're looking for the effects of the patterns that have established inside the person. And while they're very similar, there can be slight variance there, and that helps us untie, you know, what, what is causing the initial perturbation? Is it mold, toxins, or is it something like an infection like Lyme disease? And it's important to know because to get the person better, you need to remove the issue, right? If a person has a chronic infection and you just detox, 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 you may get them a, a little better, but the infections rages on. Likewise, if somebody has toxicity of a particular and a genetic problem in a mold detox pathway, and not all mycotoxins are detoxed the same way, so it's important to know which one, let's say glucuronidation pathway. So if you have a problem with a glucuronidation pathway and you have a mycotoxin that needs to be cleared out through the glucuronidation pathway and the person has Lyme disease, you can throw antibiotics at the Lyme disease forever. And you've heard the stories where people are on antibiotics seemingly forever and they don't get better because it's more of a toxicity issue. And that's where reading these patterns that are seemingly invisible, right? until you understand that, no, we can look at the effects. So that's what we're doing with genomic uh, nutrition. That's what we're doing with this genome, functional genomic medicine. That's what we're doing with Beyond Protocols. Yeah, awesome answer. And I'll tell you, I had that epiphany just the other day because I, I am met with controversy from other doctors that say it's not important. And it, I always say it upsets me when you're dogmatic in one sense, but also ignorant in the other and vehement about saying it's not helpful. Just say you don't know. You know, I've always said that versus saying it's not helpful. Um, but, you know, I'm like Forrest Gump and shrimp. Like I, how many ways can I make shrimp? I listen to these over and over and over again. I got to harness my OCD in some kind of way. So I listen to them over and over and over again, McKay and Bob Miller's training modules. And every time you hear it, you hear something new, right? Because you've, yes. you've commensurated your knowledge as a practitioner. You've seen one-to-one -one responses. And then you get this little nugget of, oh my gosh, this brings everything together. And uh, as far as one of the epiphanies I had is it's not so much the genetics itself, even if it is a functional uh, assembly line that's in in 3D and, and you have to understand substrates and inhibitors and, and promoters and genetic polymorphisms and all of the above. But ultimately, like you said, it's it's the patterns, it's the ability to understand how all of these cells are coordinated and, and how to uh, come up with a game plan that's feasible and precision-like and most importantly, effective, right? Because these, these are really stealth, perfect storm, all of the variables check on the list. And at the end of the day, you have 
a debilitating chronic illness of people that can't function and and are it's just getting sicker and sicker and sicker so so i agree with you and so I, I the way i explain that genetic test is it just it gives us information how to help you the best it's not yes. just to say hey we got to reductionistically give you this supplement for this gene we got to figure out lifestyle mindset you know a dietary and and then if we can implement nutritional strategies but i'm sure you're in that same boat of we have a slippery slope of giving nutritional strategies because we want to help them so much and then the next thing you know we look at what we're taking and it's like this is ridiculous there's too many things going on here so so mckay with that let's kind of dive into okay now someone's coming to see you and you are this medical detective. You've been able to open up the blueprint of the, of the predispositions and potentials. And you understand that they have suspected Lyme and they're exhausted. They're fatigued. They've the, the typical MO they've tried antibiotics and, and they need McKay to give them some, some hope and some direction. What, what do you do from there? So it depends. So I have a, as an acupuncturist, I have a toolbox, right? There, there are various treatments that we have that, and I'm going to use kind of jump between ancient Chinese philosophy and kind of your understanding. We have treatments that reset the cell danger response and also kind of reset uh, some, some mental patterns that I think that get stuck. And so we, I hit those pretty hard in the beginning to see if we can't just jumpstart the person's physiology. Like, I, I, let me give it, let me tell the story. I, I have this patient right now and right now our strategy is we're rebuilding her gut, but her gut is so sensitive that we have to go less than a crawl, right? We have to go, she, she can handle a little bit of a probiotic one or two days out of the week any more than that it just she suffers tremendously with with gut pain uh, and bloating so and she's been on she came to me initially with psychiatric symptoms right major anxiety she even had a couple of uh, suicidal events i mean things were getting really really bad and with this all she had major gut issues she got to the point where she could only eat one certain sal salad out of core life she would go to core life at lunchtime get her salad eat some for lunch and then eat some for dinner and it was just like one single salad like they knew her by name they had her stuff ready for her and that's all she ate for about a year and a half so imagine that your entire life food wise is down to one menu choice in, in, in a restaurant, it's just, it was just, it's mind blowing, right? So there's clearly a gut piece to this. So after treating her for a little bit, it becomes clear to me, I suspect Lyme disease. And I said, we need to start treating you for Lyme disease. And she's kind of on board. Her family definitely wasn't on board, but they took her to a local Lyme literate doctor. So the Lyme literate doctor got the test and kind of took over treatment. So I lost control of where this was going. So she goes under the wing of the Lyme litter physician and they give her antibiotics, increasing variety and increasing intensity up to she had a pick line inserted, right? All the way. And she's doing antibiotics now for nine months and she doesn't get better. In fact, she gets maybe a little bit worse. And her main complaint is fatigue. She is sleeping 
eh, 20 hours a day, right? I'm sure you've heard this story before. So she finally gets to the point where her and her family have decided that they've done everything they can do with the Lyme literate physician and no knock on this physician. It's like, she's got a certain toolbox. She's got her protocols. She went through them, but it didn't work for this person, right? Because Lyme, in this case, it's my belief. Do I know for a fact? No, I don't know for a fact, but Lyme was not the driving factor. Was it a complicating factor? Yes, but it wasn't the driving factor. And I would not have treated her with antibiotics because her gut was such a mess anyway. Now her gut is a mess times a thousand, right? So the, before we can even begin to address anything else, we've got to get her digesting food and getting her system, her immune system calmed down from the inside out. At this point, if she does have Lyme, right? We can get into the argument of, is it, does Lyme ever go away? I don't know. Nobody knows for 100% sure, but it's not the primary f factor anymore, right? That's changed. It's been at least suppressed by those months and months of antibiotics. They, she did the right antibiotics for Lyme, but she didn't do anything to heal this woman's gut. So now, now we're stuck with this gut thing. And so that's the type of detective work that we're doing. It's like, what's, what's, right now is the main issue. What's going to move the needle the most? Is it the infection? Is it recovering your gut? Is it detoxification? You know, is it a little bit of all of the above? And how, and then like you said so brilliantly, the Goldilocks, how hard can we push you? Because that's often a trial and error, right? Do you have an idea? We started what I thought was really, really gently with her and she was okay. Like we're, we're starting out with a product called, uh, he changed his name. It was Restore, Zach Bush's product. They call it yeah, I. Yeah, I forget what it's called now, but you're right. Yeah, Ionic or Ion or whatever it is. Anyway, so I said, look, I don't even, the normal dose of this is a teaspoon, I think. It's either a teaspoon or a tablespoon. That I want you to dip the end of the spoon in and just lick the end of the spoon to start with. Like that's how gentle we're going with her, right? And so she graduated to one drop. So she, so she's so now she's doing one drop a day, which is still you know if you think the the full dose is a teaspoon or tablespoon whatever that is that's a bunch of drops. I don't know how many drops that is. It's not one. So she's on less than a, a than an infant's dose of this stuff, right? She is on a convalescent dose of this stuff. She accidentally one day squirted. She was using a pump, squirted like three drops into her mouth and said, "Eh, what the heck? What harm can it do?" That knocked her out for about two weeks with gut distension, gut pain, misery. And then once her gut goes, her psychiatric issues come back. She gets even more fatigue. It's just, it's a total wreck. So on one hand, it's like, okay, we're pretty clear now. When your gut goes wonky, you go wonky. So we need to take care of your gut first. But on the other hand, she lost two weeks just because she added two drops of this really benign stuff. It's not even really a probiotic, right? It's just some fulvic acid, right? It's just some really basic minerals. There's there's nothing in that stuff. Yet that's how sensitive these patients can be. It's it's incredible. And most doctors, right? And even most clinicians don't have the patience and the capacity to deal with failure over and over again to, to help these patients. But it takes a certain mindset. It takes a certain amount of I'm going to call it wisdom, but experience just to be able to sit, stay calm, calm the patient down and move slowly, slowly so you can help them and, and stick to the basics and not get distracted because 
you know, you want to race to the finish line, but healing her gut is going to be a year-long process. It's not going to happen. You know, some people you give a probiotic and they feel better in a couple of weeks. It's like, oh, thanks, doc, I feel great. Those aren't the people we're talking about here. And those aren't the people who are really stuck with the adrenal fatigue, right? Those, we're talking about the people who've got, who've got sensitive systems. Yeah, two, a couple of things that, that I would like to just summarize that with. I, I, I don't, we don't see the easy clients anymore. It's kind of like Aquaman that puts out that beacon and, and brings in these different fish. And these fish are more complicated than they've ever been. I would love to have the, just take the probiotic and feel better. Um, the second thing I think is really important that you mentioned is we are, I use this analogy a lot and feel free to steal it as, or, or use it and retake it. But we are golf pros that are not teaching people that uh, have never swung a club before. That'd be easier. They're swinging so poorly that we have to get rid of that swing. And, and there's a, and in this analogy, it's not even the swing, it's the mental connection to the swing. Like I know it's my swing and I'm married to my swing and it identifies my swing. Um, and, and unlearning that mentally, and that's where you talked about resetting the brain and the limbic center, um, which is really key. Um, and then the last thing that I would, and then not only fixing the broken swing, but, you know, now teaching that person how to swing effectively. And, and so there's two processes there. Uh, and then the last thing I would say, which is a real clinical pearl for anyone listening and you, you, I think about Beth O'Hara when I hear about this in terms of just very sensitive mast cell stimulated clients where even a little bit of fairy dust is enough to blow them out of the water. And so what, what I say in that instance is you have really sick cells, your, your, your voltage gates and your action potentials and your depolarization of the cell is because it's sick and leaking calcium in there, it's less positive. It takes less stimuli to cause that action potential. And that causes you to be very hypersensitive or exceed your metabolic capacity very quickly. And the analogy would be if I touch your skin and you jump off, it's because your body, your cells are sick and, and you don't require a lot of stimuli to overstimulate and reach that problem. So the clinical pearl in that is what you said is I get a lot of clients that will say, well, it helped me in the beginning and then it no longer helped. You hear that a lot or it blew me out of the water and I just threw the baby out with the bathwater, but there's no starting slow enough. And, and I think that's a really important uh, caveat and a tool because a lot of people I'm sure you found are so close yet so far with being in the right arena but it would have been something as as what they as benign as doing a half a calf, and even that was too much. So yeah. if you're if you're hitting stagnant points and you're listening to this, maybe think about really putting fairy dust on your on your food or whatever it is that you're taking. So does that make sense, McKay? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, two two points on that. The first one is there's a there's a famous, and I can't remember the name of it tennis training center in in siberia right and like anna kornikova came out of there some other famous russian people came out of there and it's like this just abandoned warehouse right it's ugly it's gross there's not much going on there but they train world-class tennis players and every single lesson doesn't matter if you just walked in the door or if you're on a pro tour they start with 
what the phantom swings. So they practice swinging an imaginary racket. They even put the racket down. So that's the whole point is like we get attached to, you know, this is the protocol that got me to this point And, you know, do, but do we know is it serving? Sometimes you have to put everything down or most everything down. You can always add it back in. But what got you to a certain point may not get you the whole way through. Like if you're climbing a mountain, you, you can take so much equipment to the base camp, but you can't carry that to the summit. You know, you've got to change your your gear. You've got to change your attitude to make it to the summit. So that's that's point number one. And then the point number two was ah, refeeding syndrome. So an, another friend of mine, chronic Lyme person, she did an amazing job healing herself. She has a master's degree in nutrition and was just able to dig through constantly over years and years and years and years and years. And one of the main things that helped her climb back into uh, health or being in a healthier state was she discovered refeeding syndrome. So, and this was really known after the concentration camps in World War II. So what would happen is the army would come in, they'd see all these starving people and say, here, have a meal, and it would kill them. Their bodies were too weak to eat, right? So then they started to figure, okay, how can we begin to refeed these emaciated, really weak people so we don't overwhelm them? And we can have the same thing happen. We're not emaciated to that state, right? We don't look like skeletons, but our metabolisms, our mitochondria are that weak where too much of a certain nutrient can just wipe you out metabolically and hurt you. Where it normally would be a nutrient, it becomes a poison. So what you say is, is so very important. And then we forget the basics. It's like, you know, what, what has become depleted after being sick for three years, five years, 10 years, you know, are you, or some of these uh, conditionally uh, essential amino acids missing or low, are we low in potassium, right? Nobody, nobody gets enough potassium. We don't even talk about potassium. One, there's some people who think we're not actually so much sodium excess as we're potassium deficient. If we just got our potassium up, we would be fine. So little minerals like that, electrolytes like that. And again, you can't just pile it on there because you'll kill people. So you have to reintroduce these things, remineralize slowly, slowly, like you said, a grain at a time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if we look back to farming practices and of our soils and mineral content, I think that is as good a place as any to really start and not be, you know, too, too problematic given the tenants of as low as you can possibly go, right? So let's say now someone's come to see you and, and they understand the idea of relearning how to swing properly or unlearning how to swing improperly. And um, in this case, the stressing the importance of the microbial reclaiming the flag of McKay and planting it in your microbe again and, and getting it back. And that will take a lot of time. Are there things that we do simultaneously? Are there um, like actually one of the things is now say we open up the uh, the genetic profile and we see that there's this chronic, like you mentioned, inflammatory response. How does your medical detective now take the baton and move to the next uh, relay? So once we've got a little bit of a base to stand on, a little bit of solid ground, a little bit of, 
of success and feeling, okay, there may be some hope here. That's when you begin to, okay, what's the next layer? What's the next nutrient that that's, we're probably deficient in. And we can look at that in terms of pathways, right? Is, are there genetic uh, variants that are piling up and say, for example, somebody can't manufacture glutathione well enough or their cell membranes may be not as strong as and coherent as they need to be because the way they deal with fatty acids or digesting fatty acids or bringing them into the body aren't good enough. Are there some solute carriers, right? Some nutrition carriers that aren't working as well as they should. So maybe we need to add in a little bit extra, even beyond what we would normally do for this person. So we begin to look there and that's going to vary from person to person, right? The genetics is the framework of the puzzle. It, you know, if my wife does puzzles all the time, she starts by putting the frame together, right? Find the four corners, find the edge pieces, put it together. And then that, that gives you an idea that allows you to build the puzzle within the frame. And that's what the genetics are doing. The genetics aren't the entire story, but they allow you to make sense of everything else. It speeds up the process of building the puzzle. And that's, that's why you need those genetics. So that's, you know, that's what we do. So, you know, for example, with my client that I told you about, uh, who's, who's got the psychiatric problems in the gut, we're looking at adding in some cysteine now and just it's very small amounts. And because her cysteine pathway is not great, her ability to make cysteine in the body, use cysteine in the body is not good. And so her glutathione production is not good. So we're doing that. And the, the other thing, let's, and let's veer into with this, let's, I want to veer into nitric oxide because it's a, it's very much uh, an obsession of mine. And I'm going to sound like a crazy person <laughs> because I see nitric oxide as the hub of a lot of processes and involved in a lot of processes so much so that it sound like nitric oxide does everything. And intellectually, I know that doesn't happen, <laughs> but kind of emotionally, I'm mean, like, I'm all in with nitric oxide. So if I sound like a crazy person, just know that that's just my particular passion. And I see everything through the lens of nitric oxide. I believe, let, let me back up one second here. So here's a big picture explanation. So they're complex problems to solve, right? So nutrition, somebody's health that we're talking about is a complex problem. There are multiple solutions that could work some of them better than others and some of them terrible, right? Like the antibiotics for my patient was a terrible solution, right? It didn't help her at all, right? Not a good solution. So these, there's in mathematics, you solve a problem like this, there, there are multiple solutions. So one of the classic problems is what's the shortest path for a used car salesman to travel to every capital city in, in the nation, right? All 50 capitals. So there are multiple different paths you could take, but what's the shortest, right? So it turns out that there are a bunch of answers that are pretty close to each other, right? So nitric oxide is one of these solutions that's a pretty good solution for a lot of problems. It might not be, it's not the only one, but it's a really good one. So that's, anyway, that's my passion for nitric oxide. So take that with a grain of salt. Nitric oxide is a very small molecule, one nitrogen, one oxygen. And it's, it, it's an oxidant, but it's not, it's not super reactive. There are other more dangerous oxidants in the body, but it has a particular affinity for various molecules throughout the body. So it not only does it, 
kind of break down, kill viruses directly, but it also is a signaling molecule. And that's what makes it so important. So you could think of nitric oxide as another cytokine, even though it's not directly. And it signals within the cell itself. So it's an autocrine signaler. It signals to cells around the cell where it is produced. So it's a paracrine. And then it can even be carried with other molecules throughout the body. So it becomes an endocrine signaler as well. So this little tiny molecule is affecting your entire body. It uses the, the, the enzymes that make nitric oxide use an amino acid called arginine. And arginine is conditionally essential. And what that simply means is that for the most part, we've got enough. But there are certain cases where we don't have enough. And I think one of the things that happens with our mast cell friends and with the chronic fatigue people is we can no longer produce enough nitric oxide at the physiological level. So one interesting thing that happens with the nitric oxide synthase, right, the enzyme that makes the nitric oxide, if it doesn't have the right raw materials and the right conditions in the cell, it makes a different molecule called superoxide. And superoxide is much more reactive than nitric oxide. And in fact, superoxide combines with any nitric oxide that's in the neighborhood to form another oxidant called peroxynitrite, which is even more damaging. It starts damaging the DNA directly. And so if this nitric oxide synthase doesn't have what it needs if it doesn't recognize, right, I'm going to give it a little human characteristic here. If it doesn't recognize that the cell is healthy, it starts producing superoxide kind of as a signal to say, hey, cell, get yourself together. You know, you need to pull yourself together. You're not doing so well. So the cell will stop reproducing. It'll start repairing itself. And if it can't do that sufficiently and return to normal functioning, the cell will tag itself for autophagy and the resident macrophages in that tissue will come along and they will eat this damaged cell so it cannot reproduce and create more damaged cells. And that's one of the main functions that nitric oxide is doing. So if you have somebody who's lost a lot of weight with their illness, this is, this is one of the things that happen, is happening is that too many cells are ta tapping out. They're saying, you know, we can't keep this up anymore. So, you know, there may be some nutrient absorption issues going on. So maybe this, this tapping out is happening in the intestines, like with my, my friend, my patient who's so sick. You know, maybe it's happening in other organs in the body. But this is one of the things that this nitric oxide is doing. So reestablishing physiological basal levels of nitric oxide is critical to healing. Sorry, that's my dog barking in the background. Okay. U UPS truck must be in the driveway. Right, right. So, and so it's critical. Nitric oxide is part, it's, it's crazy. Nitric oxide is produced in large amounts as the innate immune system is activated. So many researchers view nitric oxide as this pro-inflammatory, highly caustic molecule that's being produced in the body. But if we don't make enough of it, if the fires don't burn bright enough, for, bright enough for the inflammation, then the body never moves into healing mode. So nitric oxide also does things like it calms down mast cells, right? It inhibits mast cell functions. 
it inhibits the, the NOx enzyme that produces is another enzyme that produces superoxide. So it calms that down. So enough, you know, it's, it's kind of telling the system is like, okay, we've got enough of immune response going here that we can begin to slow it down again. So if you're not, if you run out of your capacity to produce this nitric oxide because you run out of arginine or the cells that are producing the nitric oxide aren't healthy enough, then you actually have a deficit of nitric oxide and you're producing more peroxynitrite instead. So much, there's some scientists and I, I'm in their camp who think that a lot of the damage and bad press that nitric oxide gets is actually the function of nitric oxide. And so that's what we're... I'm sure this is what's happening with so many chronically ill people is they've lost their ability to produce enough nitric oxide. So there are things you can do to support that. There are supplements out there. There are things like Neo40. There are things like a Berkeley Life has a nitric oxide supplement. Uh, if you're worried about oxalates, you can eat arugula, which is very high in nitrates. So there's a rescue pathway that that creates nitric oxide through what we eat through ingested nitrites and nitrates. So you can do it that way. And then you can support the enzymes themselves. And it's better to support with citrulline than arginine. And that's because arginine, once it's taken up in the bloodstream, tends to be captured by the liver and it never makes it to the to the cells that are making the nitric oxide. So citrulline is ignored by the liver for the most part, and it gets to circulate. And then there are specific enzymes that convert the citrulline to arginine right where it needs to be next to the nitric oxide synthesis. So I hope I didn't get too technical there, but this nitric oxide idea, I think is so important for recovery. And I do think it's one of those main fulcrum points, one of the main pivot points in the cell danger response. They don't he doesn't talk about it a lot. I haven't seen it in his research yet, but it's it's involved in the balance between the Th2 immune system, the Th1 immune system. It's involved in proper immune response. They found it so important in the body's ability to deal with the COVID virus directly and indirectly. And again, these massive inflammatory responses are, I think, even though... Let me, let me see if I can regather myself here. So se let, let's, sepsis, right? So essentially these people are dying of COVID. Their lungs, their lungs were being disintegrated, right? Their lungs are melting. So they're having sepsis of the lungs. And we, we all know what happens like when you get C. diff and just the whole body, the organs start to melt. So this is the inflammatory response, the innate immune system response gone nuts. And it's a lot of that damage is put on the plate of this nitric oxide, but it's not really the nitric oxide. It's the superoxide that's causing this problem. Yes. So what they do is they measure the activity of the nitric oxide enzyme is like, wow, look at all these extra nitric oxide enzymes that are being produced by the body here. Therefore, it must be a nitric oxide problem. The part of the equation that they leave out is these nitric oxide enzymes aren't producing nitric oxide anymore. They're producing superoxide because of the condition of the terrain, the condition of the cell. Does that make sense, Joel? Yeah, no, that's awesome. There's a lot of things that I want to spit out and, and sort of comment on i mean obviously there are the potentials with people that have challenges with reducing superoxide and sod snips that are going to make this even worse um i interviewed nathan brian and i'm sure you're familiar with um you know taking mouthwash 
right? And and you and that will kill the yeah. nitrate reducing bacteria. And now all of a sudden you're not producing nitric oxide. Any chronic neurodegenerative or any type of chronic just degenerative condition in the body is going to be correlated with low nitric oxide levels. Um, obviously, it's increasing blood flow and everything that accompanies blood flow in terms of energy production and electron transport chain and all of the above are going to impact. Um, so I agree. I love that you have that emphasis. And I think for Lyme, the limeys that are potentially listening to this and like nitric what like that's a huge like uh, a, a huge i need to incorporate this information into my my knowledge base and applications because ultimately if i'm not able to signal my cell if i'm overproducing free radicals if i'm not eliminating right that that's just going to feed forward and continue to drain your batteries if you will so awesome stuff i mean also like not that our very sick clients would be able to do high intensity exercises um but blood flow restriction and katsu and all those type of things are helpful for nitric oxide production as well um so awesome information uh, as far as um how do we go from there what now that we've understood that what now what's what are you finding clinical pearls when you're putting all things together now mckay so i'm looking for ways always for people to be able to increase their nitric oxide levels gently and on, on the physiological level right either to complete the inflammatory response so that they can calm down right so the the body can switch from TH1 response to TH2 and start healing, or that the basal levels can be reestablished. And what I'm researching right now is gut, intestinal health, and the role nitric oxide plays in that, right? So we think of endothelial cells, we think of nitric oxide as, oh, blood flow, right? And that's where it got its, its name, right? That's where the Nobel Prize came into play for. But if you think of any vessel anywhere in the body, if you have restricted bile flow, chances are you're not making enough nitric oxide. If you have restricted lymph flow, guess what? Nitric oxide is involved. If you have restricted flow through the kidneys or through the liver itself, nitric oxide's involved, right? The intestines have endothelial cells. So if you're having intestinal problems, you're having nitric oxide problems. If you're having lung problems, you're having nitric oxide problems. It that's why I kind of joke that it's, you know, I'm a I'm a monomaniacal nitric oxide guy because it's just it's involved everywhere. It's one of these basal molecules that is just involved in so many symptoms and so many systems, I meant to say because it's just so at such a basic level. It's like talking about mitochondria. Well, you know, what's the deal with mitochondria? Well, every cell has mitochondria in it, except for red blood cells. And if you don't have mitochondria, guess what? The cell's not gonna work. If the cells don't work, the tissue doesn't work. If the tissue doesn't work, the organ doesn't work. And nitric oxide is, is almost like that. I'm not gonna put it at the level of mitochondria, but it's almost like that. If your cells are not producing nitric oxide at the right levels, then you got issues and it doesn't matter where. So things you can do, sunshine creates nitric oxide. UV light creates nitric oxide, particularly UVB, right? So not necessarily a, a tanning booth may or may not, depending on what the type of bulbs they have could help, 
So I used to be 100% against tanning boots. And a couple of years ago, I thought, well, maybe I need, actually need to get one in my clinic to help people. Because up here in Central York, there is no sunshine. It's just like we're a cloud cover all the time. And people suffer because they're not making enough nitric oxide. So that's one thing you can do. Saunas or even, even raising your temperature a little bit. So heat shock protein triggers nitric oxide release. When you think about it, what happens? Our body gets warm. We need more blood circulation to be able to cool. So it releases nitric oxide. On and on like that. So there, there are some very gentle things. Obviously, exercise is a great way to do. But when you're fatigued, you know, you've got that heart, whole heart rate variability. How hard do you push today before it becomes detrimental and you have to pay for the exercise? So that's always a very you know, touchy thing. I'll leave that more in your boat than in, in mine. I'm always very careful with people. It's like start slower than you think you should right start slower than you think you should like right. you said for everything else so exercise is an awesome way something simple like walking right just the demands there's something called sheer stress so once the demand for the blood flow increases and your blood pressure increases a little bit it pushes on the endothelial cells physically pushes on them and the pressure on the endothelial cell recognizes, oh, we need more blood flow to this area. Let's produce some nitric oxide and open up the blood vessels. If there's not here, so here's supposition. If there's not enough nitric oxide in the area, my bet is that the body falls back on histamine to open up the blood cells. It's got to get the blood flow in there somehow. Nitric oxide is a preferred method. It's not going to be inflammatory. Histamine has all the other problems to it. But if you have to get, if the the equation is either we get blood flow to the area or the area dies, the body's going to open up the blood flow any way it can. So I think that's also one of the reasons why we see so much so much histamine response that gets along with these super sick, chronically ill people is because their ability to create basal levels of nitric oxide has, has diminished. And then there's the rescue pathway. So Neil, Dr. Nathan... I'm messing up his name. I was getting confused Neil, with Neil, Neil Nathan. Nathan. Neil Nathan. Yes. Neil Nathan so, and Nathan Bryan. Nathan, Nathan Bryan, right. Nathan Bryan. So the NO guy. And yeah. Nathan is the toxic mold guy kind of exactly. thing. Thank you. So yes. <laughs> Nathan Bryan is an expert in the, I'm going to call it the rescue pathway, right? The, the pathway where you make nitric oxide by what you're eating. Right. And again, right. you know. And the whole rage was celery. So what is, you know, what's the, what's the health benefit of celery? There's nothing there but some fiber, water, and sodium, right? Well, it also turns out there's a ton of nitrate in celery. So right. what celery is doing is giving you a lot of uh, uh, substrate to make nitric oxide in your gut from the stomach acid. Right. And, from, and like you said, in the bacteria in your mouth. So there's a whole, we don't need to go into that. Right. But, but, that, but essentially that's what's doing. Celery juice is making nitric oxide and as one of its effects is that all it's doing probably not but that's one of the things it's doing and the problem with celery juice it has oxalates in it so it's you're much better off doing arugula than kale kale also has a bunch of nitrates and could be helpful that way but again kale spinach beet roots or classic like nitrate you know let's boost our nitric oxide food but if you have problem with oxalates they're going to make things worse probably so you right. want to do something that doesn't have nitrates and arugula is a great green. It doesn't, it's a little bit bitter. It's not that bad. You just mix it in with your other salad greens. You'll be fine. Put some olive oil two, two, on two it. Two things, a couple of things. So number one, um, I know there's someone out there and, and they are um, the, the person with the, with the celery juice 
and the medium, but I think that the medical detectives and the arugula have a pretty good um, stand uh, marketplace to come in and, and take away the, uh, the medium and his celery place yeah. and, and explain why. That's one, BizOp. So I said it live, you heard it here first. <laughs> uh, number two is, um, can you go back uh, and just kind of explain, because this is a, more of a aha for me when you mentioned it. So, you know, I say that adrenal fatigue is a terrible term. And uh, ultimately, I've, the body has learned how, not learned how to, uh, or lost the capacity to maintain homeostasis. And then you have these nutrients that they call adaptogenic herbs that can help if you're low, come high, or if you're high, come low, to help you with that homeostasis. But you mentioned something earlier, which I see a lot of, where for the people that are underweight and catabolic, and there's a nitric oxide peroxynitrite, I think that's a lot of value. If you can explain that a little bit in detail, because you also have those that have weight loss resistance that are in a cell danger response and can't lose the weight. But then you have also those that are in a cell danger response with weight gain resistance. Um, and I haven't really pieced together the weight gain resistance and the nitric oxide connection. So if you could kind of elucidate that, that'd be great. This is speculation, right? I'm not going to claim that this is exactly what happens, but it, it makes sense to me. And the interventions... Hey, Rippy observation. That's exactly. Hey, Rippy, and, right. and the interventions are not going to be anything terribly harmful. So it's something somebody can experiment with and not kill themselves, right? I'm not asking to do anything dangerous. It comes down to mac what macrophages and then the T helper cells. So this is a grossly oversimplification of the immune system, but I'm going to do it anyway. So they're macrophages, which are kind of big eaters, right? That's the name, what it means, macrophage. And they're resident macrophages, so that means they hang out, just kind of waiting like mast cells do. And then there are macrophages that come in when they're called upon, right? Kind of like the Marines. And then there are T helper cells. And T helper cells, for the most part, are just communication hubs they take signals from macrophages and other resident immune cells and they amplify them that's pretty much what they do now again that's an oversimplification but that's if you understand that you're understanding more than 75 percent of people in the immune system macrophages have tool belts genetic tool belts and depending on the environment and the signals they're getting from their own environment and the signals are getting from these T helper cells will pick up different genetic tools from the genetic tool belt. So the first phase, and it's called M1 polarization or Th1, they're the same thing. Th1 are the helper cells polarization and M1 is a macrophage polarization. And that's when the body first encounters a pathogen. So these people are getting sick with the Pfizer uh, vaccine. It's like their body's seeing this RNA strand for the first time and the body says kill it right and so the body's learning that this is a foreign invader that's what a that's what a vaccination does same thing happens whether it's a virus coming in a bacteria through a break in the skin whether you have a pathogenic mold in your gut right that's your body's first response in this response the cells produce a lot of nitric oxide they move from the basal level of nitric oxide to this war footing nitric oxide so the levels of nitric oxide produced in the cells 
go up by a thousand percent. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable how much more nitric oxide is produced. Now, other things are happening at the same time. So it's not just nitric oxide, but this is a big piece of it. So you get this inflammatory response. The body's creating all kinds of chemicals and signals saying we need to kill this. Let's get to work. And let's assume that the body is successful in doing that. Then the signals start changing and it starts moving into an M2 and TH2 response. And this is also called the healing phase. Now that's oversimplified too because the TH response can happen when they're like infections with parasites and, and larger multi-celled infections, flukes, things like that, the TH2 response will come in. So it's not purely a healing only mode, but it's enough for our purposes. So the body then shifts from Th1 and M1 to Th2 and M2. So the, both the macrophages and these T helper cells are now going around fixing things. They're creating chemicals that help the body heal. So it's a totally different phase. So another switch in this, and I'm sure you've heard this with the cancer, right, is the autophagy phage, phase of things and the mTOR phase of things, right? The cancer lives in the Th2, mTOR, M2 phase of things. Autophagy and healing, ketogenic diets, that sort of thing, calorie restriction, lives in the Th1 side of things. So what happens with the people who can't gain weight, Joel, is they get stuck in this Th1 response. And the assumption is that they're making too much nitric oxide. I don't think that's the case. Again, this is where my speculation come in. I think they're making too much peroxynitrite and actually not enough nitric oxide. And if they add, they were able to get enough nitric oxide, the body could then recover from it. It's like it needs enough. It's like if you don't have enough heat, you, you can't bake the brownie, right? You can leave it in the oven forever and it just dries out and turns gross. It never really bakes. So the body's inflammatory response needs enough heat. And this is a Chinese medicine kind of ideal too. Enough heat to then curve over and to begin the, the cooling phase. So it doesn't get, the infectious response doesn't get hot enough to flip the switch to then begin to cool. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's almost like the paradoxical reality of, of having um, the wrong assumption of too much nitric oxide, which it's too little nitric oxide and too much uh, byproduct of the, the 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 reaction gone wrong, so to speak, in producing yes. free radicals. And in this case, it's very catabolic and yes. um, it breaks you down. The, the thing is, though, also, though, because mTOR, and this is a whole other podcast, which I'll make sure we do part two to, um, I feel the same way about you uh, and nitric oxide and all the bullet points that go underneath that to cover that, that is enough of an upstream project to really make significant improvements upon the person's health same thing for mTOR and it for me it's hard to get my idea around how many environmental triggers stimulate cell growth yes. and still have someone yep. be catabolic you know it's this well that well right yeah it, so that that's where you've got these different systems going on right and and that, but that's why paradoxically you get some of these people who who get sick and they gain weight like i'm a weight gainer right? I'm stuck in TH2. My body wants to go to the mTOR side. It wants to go to the insulin resistant side. It wants to go to the storing fats 
side of things, right? Some people respond the other way, whether it's genetic, whether it's just the way, you know, other uh, functions in the body, other influences in the body have set things up. But one, so you can, you can have all the responses like in the mTOR side of thing, but if you have, like in your muscles, if you're still having this, in, I'm gonna, this inflammatory response, this innate system response, or if you're having it in your gut and you can't, you know, so we have to, let me back up here for a second. I'm getting a little excited with myself. If you can't, we have to define whether or not it's an absorption issue, right? Is the problem in the gut? Is it just not absorbing the nutrients, right? That's step one. Are we not digesting? Are we not, you know, is there not enough saliva? Is there not enough gastric juices? Is there not I enough mean, absorption? Right. So we're, we're all assuming that that's kind of taken care of and they're operating okay. But right. all this stuff tends to break down together. Right. But the reason the gut may not be healing is because it's stuck in this chronic inflammatory state and, and is not able to get cool enough, right, to go through enough heat to cool off. And what they're finding is that endothelial nitric oxide inside the, the cells lining the gut is critical to its ability to be healthy. So in knockout mice, where they take out the ability to create this one particular nitric oxide enzyme, if they take this out, it's more susceptible to all kinds of inflammatory bowel diseases, whether it's right. Crohn's model, right. you know, right. whether it's just IBD itself, because right. it can't return to right? it can't return to homeostasis. Right. This is such an important molecule for signaling the cell itself and the surrounding tissue that everything's okay. It's like it's the night watchman going through 10 o'clock and all as well. That's what nitric oxide's doing. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And I always say to clients that I worked with six months or later, hey, I wanna work with you again because I have all these new insights. And I have a client in particular that was, I was on the right path, right line, like peroxynitrite and superoxide and, and can't gain weight and nitric oxide issues. Um, but we had a couple other too many methyl groups stimulating mTOR, you know, this anyways. Um, so as far as this is amazing information, McKay, I want to make sure that um, we set up another time to talk uh, a little bit more thoroughly about mTOR and autophagy. And then also we talked about um, the cytokines. Um, I'm so glad we talked about nitric oxide. Um, but as far as how do if people are listening to this, and they're a provider or they're a health coach or they wanna learn more about this. I know you've developed uh, Beyond Protocol. So tell us a little bit about that and, and what that is and what kind of resource that is for people that are looking for more education on this information. Beyond Protocols is an online mentoring platform and we teach our process. It's a nine step process to help practitioners use this information, use testing in a collaborative, cohesive way. So they're not taking individual uh, test results in isolation, but understand how they all fit together to really give, and I'm going to say it this way, uh, to give you the, the true root cause, right? Everybody treats root cause now you have to say something different, right? The true root cause. Because okay. some, somebody who's got like adrenal problems, the problem might be in their adrenals, but it might be from something else, right? And that's what that's what you're good at is like finding out what what's really the root cause. It's not enough anymore to say, oh, you've got a thyroid issue. Okay, why do you have a thyroid issue? 
Is that because you have oxalates and you don't have any iodine because it's all bound up in the oxalates? You know, what's the true root cause? And then why do you have oxalates? You know, is it a gut issue? Is it a diet issue? What's, what's going on? So we, we can always continue to go upstream. So we've gotten lazy, I think. It's become a marketing trope that we're saying, oh, we've got the root cause. But what's the true root cause? And that's what we're training practitioners how to do to use genomics, to use organic acid, to use Dutch test type tests and blood tests, put this all together and really go after the true root cause so you can help patients get better faster and then have fewer adverse reactions, right? If you get the right, if you're pushing the right pathways, people are gonna get better and they're gonna feel better. And from a purely selfish point of view, happy patients refer their friends and families. You don't need to go out there and spend 30 hours on doing social media right? Patients are your best marketing. They spend way more time on social media than you can. That's true. So that's, that's the professional side of things. <laughs> right, right, right. And then as far as just learning a little bit more about you personally and privately, the name is spelled M-A-C-K-A-Y-R-I-P-P-E-Y, right? Yes. And that yep. doesn't sound Italian, though. No, that's the other side of the equation. My, my, my mom's uh, maiden name is Fenaroli. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So, so. as far as starting, <laughs> we always like to ask the, our guests, McKay, hey, like you're a wealth of information. I could talk to you all day and have people like overhear us geeking out and hearing all about this. Uh, but we gotta, we gotta respect each other's time and the listeners' uh, brain power to process all the information. But as far as I'm interested to hear your answer, given the sage-like knowledge that you've acquired and obviously there's always learning to be had what would you tell the the younger naive or not so knowledgeable mckay that may have had some stress responses or fatigue issues or things that could have really accelerated how great you would have felt had you had those pieces of the puzzle what would you tell yourself then so my advice to my younger self would be along the lines of don't give up so easily. And coming from a bit of a perfectionist type mindset is like always wanted things to be just so, just right. And when things didn't look just so in the beginning, like somehow I, I missed the lesson in that Rome wasn't built in a day, right? That the Sistine Chapel wasn't painted overnight. And just looking at the end results, whether it's a patient health, my own health, my own performance in a sport or academically, and that usually there's hard work involved. <laughs> and it sounds so simple and so obvious, but as a younger person, if things got a little bit rough, I'd move on to the next thing. And I would encourage my younger self is just like, sit yourself down, do the work, and the results will come. That's awesome. It's, you know, beauty and simplicity. And that's a, a, a that doesn't happen very often. I, I feel a couple of things on that is in terms of shiny object syndrome and, and hey, I want to see the guilty. Thing. Yes. <laughs> and I think we all are, especially in our quest for health. Right. And, yeah. and the new yeah. supplement and so forth. And that's, and you know, that's why I stopped the, the Lyme podcast is it, it was totally shiny object syndrome. 
right? And it's just like, it's like all the diet books too. It's like, we need to do a better job of figuring out what diet's right for one person. Because if you go through the diet books, if you go through Lyme disease, every single book, every single intervention has cured somebody. And all the books say the same thing. Dr. So-and-so saved my life because all I eat now is chocolate covered ants. Right. And they and so therefore chocolate covered ants is the way everybody should eat. And then you go to the next one and said, no, you know, doctor so and so saved my life and all I eat is celery juice and celery juice saved my life and everybody should be on celery juice. It doesn't work that way. We we used to have this stuff figured out. Right. We and then then we started traveling the world and then Irish people like my dad started marrying Italian people like my mom and who knows what my genetics are now and what I should be eating. It's definitely not pasta. I know that. <laughs> right, right. Well, the other thing I was going to say in all of that is just the acres of diamond, right? In terms of there's a, I'm, I don't know if you know the, the book, but there's a book where it's a positive help book and it's talking about completing your tasks. And it's, the analogy is this, this guy that was looking for the, the diamond mine bought this plot of land and he's been digging for years and years and years and years till eventually he's like, you know what? It's not here. He sells it. The person that moves in was a foot above where the diamonds were, but he stopped digging. And I, right. I tell a lot of clients that McKay, like, Hey, I feel like you're so close yet. Yeah. So far we got to implement beyond protocols and get you understanding your mindset and your brain and your circadian rhythm and your relationships right. and quality air that you breathe and the things that you don't see in the shiny objects that make the difference. And, you know, of, of that whole like 0.5% of what you're missing makes that 99.5% results happen. So Lots of amazing information. Any last words you want to share? No, thank you. This has been fun. I know I yeah. went way over, but that's my tendency is once you get me wound up, I can't stop talking. Well, I'm working no, on that. Hey, listen, you don't need to fix that. That's not broken. That's a good thing. So I appreciate uh, all the time that you've shared with us today. There's lots of great information. I always go back and listen to this more and more and more and pick up some more pieces. And I hope that our listeners get a lot of value out of it like I know they will and just want to thank you so much for your time and everything that you're doing in the world to create a better place thanks Joel thank you okay have a great rest of your day thanks for tuning into today's show if you like what you've heard and you're interested to see if you're a good fit to work with our adrenal awakening program here's what to do next head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak to our team. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly do you want to be with your health and where are you now? Number two, what are the genetic components that haven't been discovered that are impacting your health? And number three, what are the environmental triggers that may be overlapping with these genetic components keeping you from getting optimal health? Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make that happen. We've helped clients all over the world transform their lives, quadruple their energy, and fix their metabolism, and make the world a better place. To see if you can do the same thing, head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply. I'm Dr. Richard Joel Rosen, and we'll talk to you soon.